So today's our 668th gathering, and the title of our sermon is this, the good news and the bad news is the same news. That's, that's the title. We're in a five-week series um, in this season of epiphany, one of the lesser known in our culture, Christian seasons. It comes after the Christmas season. It's epiphany. And uh, we're going to talk about, uh, take five weeks to talk about the stories of the earliest stories of Jesus' life, the few, very few things that were told about Jesus between his birth and his baptism. For Christmas time, we focus on his birth. Everybody understands that in the Western culture. Uh, the rest of the year, typically, Christian churches focus on the life and the teachings of Jesus, which is appropriate. The life and the teachings of Jesus, what we actually refer to as three years, right? Three years following his baptism when he accomplishes all the stories that you know about Jesus and, and teaches about, the announces the coming of the kingdom of God, heals people, uh, those kinds of things. But for these few weeks, we want to like look at the few stories between his birth and his baptism. And here's why. It's because we believe that these early stories really form the roots of Christ's revelation. And so there is in the, in the, uh, the origin of his teachings is, is here. It's in the roots. And we need to understand these in order for us to have a, a fuller understanding or appreciation and hopefully ultimately response to Jesus's life and his teachings. All right. So I've been teaching through Luke's gospel. Uh, today, we're going to dip into an account of Jesus's life written by Matthew in order to learn a couple stories that only Matthew records. Matthew is one of uh, Jesus's earliest 12 apostles. He's one of the 12. Um, he's a Jewish follower of Jesus. Luke, who we've been hanging out with the last couple of weeks, he's, uh, he's, in a, he's a companion of Paul. He comes about a generation later. He's not Jewish. Luke writes for a non-Jewish audience. Paul, um, Matthew writes for a Jewish audience. So, uh, Matthew's going to tell us the story of a declaration of a piece of news to two different groups. And it's the same news. For some people, it's good news. And for some people, it's bad news. And it's the same news. All right? And you're familiar with this concept. You are, right? You're familiar with this concept of the same news being good news or bad news. Because this is the way, even though it sounds like a contradiction, this is the way. Most of the news comes to us nowadays. Something happens, somebody says something, something goes down, and immediately it is categorized on one side or the other, and it's either good news or it's bad news. Some people are cheering about it, other people are rioting about it. It's either the best thing that this person's ever done, or it's the worst thing that could happen in the history of the world. So we understand this idea. Lots of the news we hear gets categorized into something like this, into these kinds of ways. I guess it depends on who you are. I guess it depends on who you care about. Uh, I guess it demands, depends on how you imagine this news affecting you. Okay? So with that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 2. This is early in the story of Matthew's uh, story of Jesus, according to Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's the town, in Judea, that's the region, during the king or the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. All right, what's going on here? A couple things. First, you got these Magi. We call them wise men, typically, in the Western church. 
Um, they are astronomers from probably Persia, maybe Syria. They have discerned by viewing planets and stars and constellations the fact that a new king has been born in another country. I don't know how they do that. I don't know how that works, but this is what they say. And they roll up to Jerusalem, and they spin their window down, and the guy at the gate says, what are you here for? And they say, we're here to see the new king. And the guy at the gate says, how'd you hear about the new king? And they say, the stars, man. <laughs> the stars showed us, right? The stars communicated this to us. That's why we're here. This is how they get the message. It's super mysterious to me. They get the message from nature about the birth of Christ and a part of nature that I think is actually pretty pretty mysterious and, un, and, and impossible for me to really understand. And they embark on this journey to Jerusalem, which is important because it's like Jewish ground zero. This is where the king lives. This is where the temple is. So if something big's going to happen to the Jewish people. It's probably going to happen in Jerusalem. It makes sense. They start here. And their purpose in coming, according to Matthew, he's the, the narrator, it's clear. We saw his star in the east. It can also be translated, we saw his star rise. And the star declares the news of a newborn king, and we've come to worship him. Okay, so a whole lot of things are interesting about this. Let me just hit three really fast. First, interesting is the method of delivery of this news, isn't it? I mean, that's just weird. The method of delivery of the news is interesting. How amazing is it that God communicates truth to people who look to the stars for wisdom through the stars? That's how God communicates this truth to people who can receive truth in that way. This is not a universal way of receiving the truth from God, but it worked for them. It almost seems to be customized for them. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, we read about shepherds in the field, and they get the same message from angels who appear out in the mountainside or wherever. That also isn't a universal way of receiving the good news of God, but it works for them. They are able specifically to receive the news of, of God in that way. Different method for different people, right? Interesting how God meets us in the way that we need him to meet us in. Interesting that God will communicate to us through some form or fashion that we are, for some reason, predisposed or maybe have become able to hear through. Uh, I don't know when this book was popular. Maybe I feel like it was like eight or 10 years ago. It was a book called The Shack. And then it was made into a movie a couple years ago. And um, some people have a big problem with the book and the movie. And uh, I was watching it last summer with some theology professors and who wanted to get the, uh, my take on it. We were kind of going to have a conversation about it. One of the things, so there's a bunch of things in the movie that people like say, well, that's wrong, and this is problem, and this. And one of the really unfortunate ones that makes me cringe when people do this is, because, is this. They, they struggle, some people struggle with the fact that the God figure in the movie, it's a story, right? But this God figure, um, the father God figure is a black woman. And some people are like, what? But if you, look, if you read the book or if you see the movie, you learn pretty quickly that the main character in the story was beat by his alcoholic father. He was abandoned by his mother. He grows up to be what he considers to be a failure of a father. He views God as a monster. Um, and the only nurture he's ever received in his whole life was from a maid in his southern childhood home. 
So if you're a loving God and you want to articulate your love to somebody in a way that they can actually receive it, of course you're going to show up as a black woman because she's the one who showed you love the only time you were able, a, ever able to really receive it. Are we going to get all picky about that? Well, some will, but I'm trying to get to the, the, to the heart of God. And what I like about that, do I agree with whatever, but what I like about that is it reflects, I think, accurately the heart of God, which is willing to reveal truth to you in a way that you can get it, in a way that you can understand it, in a way that, is it perfectly accurate, right? I don't think God really cares about that. He cares more about the effectiveness of his communication to your heart, right? That's what the incarnation is all about, the fact that he comes to be one of us. So I think it's interesting, the method of delivery of the truth. That's interesting. Another thing that's interesting, these guys are not Jews. That's really interesting. For us, it's not so much because I'm not sure any of us are, are Jewish. Um, so that's not, but, but it's, they are not informed by the Hebrew prophets. They, they are not coming from the same background that almost everything in the Bible is coming from. They're informed by the stars. Uh, so to be really clear, they're from a different religion. They're from a different culture. They are of a different race. They are not in any way like these people that we read about, most often the Jewish people in the Bible. Matthew is the one telling this story. Matthew is a Jewish follower of Jesus, and he's writing this account for the Jewish community. That's his audience. And on page two of his story, he has enter into the plot these two or three or four or however many there are people from another race, another religion, another part of the world. If there's any association from a Jewish mindset with those people, it's negative because they are the descendants of some who a long, 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 long time ago destroyed a bunch of Jewish people. And yet these people hear the news, these magi, these astronomers, these wise men, that a new king has been born. And for them, as we're going to see in a minute, it's, it's good news. For them, it's perhaps surprisingly, it's really good news. And then here's a third thing really fast that's surprising, or at least interesting. They've come to worship this new king. This is not a sightseeing vacation. This is not a diplomatic mission. They've come to worship this new king. The word that is used here, it's translated worship, it actually comes from the oriental culture where someone will kneel down and bow down till their forehead hits the ground as a sign of deep reverence and profound respect for the person in front of whom they are bowing. This is what is translated here. That's why it says in the Bible, bow down and worship. They're trying to communicate the fuller uh, picture of this word in English. So it's not just that these non-Jewish guys have an interest in this Jewish king. They have also discerned something very special about this Jewish king, which is prompting them to revere him, to worship him. So this goes way beyond some sort of political goodwill. All right, let's continue the story in verse 3 of Matthew 2. When King Herod heard the news, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, so who's this guy? King Herod is a Jewish king. I'm using quotes intentionally. Uh, I'll explain that why. This isn't actually him. Uh, they didn't have <laughs> photography back then, but he looks pretty awesome. And so I thought we'd use that guy. Um, okay, so he's Jewish. Um, now, he's reigned in 
in Jerusalem for like 37 years before Jesus is born. He is absolutely in charge. There's no question about who's in charge. He's in charge. In fact, they refer to his dynasty, the Herodian dynasty, because he's in charge for like 40 years. And then his kids are in charge for a long time after that. Here's what's interesting. His status as a Jew was continually questioned because his father wasn't born Jewish. So they're always having trouble with people who are, are they really Jewish or not? So his Jewishness was in question. And not just because of his, his ethnicity, but because of his immorality. He was famously immoral. He had lots of wives, and when they didn't do what he wanted, he killed them. Uh, or he like outsourced them to somewhere and brought in somebody new. And their kids are always arguing about who's going to be the next. It's a mess. Um, and he's famous for being a bad Jew from a moral or an ethic standpoint. So Jewish in quotes. King is also in quotes because he wasn't made king by the people, which happens in some cultures. He wasn't made king by the prophet, which is the way it's supposed to go in Israel. He's made king by, get this, the Roman Senate. He did a good job as a governor when he was in his 20s. And so they establish him as the king over Jerusalem or Israel. Rome is the mega power. Herod is the Jewish puppet leader of the, of the Israelite people under Rome's control. All right. So Herod is a skilled politician. Yes. Is he an amazing and productive builder? Absolutely. You can still see stuff he built or his slaves built uh, at, at, even today. Um, but from a Jewish standpoint, from a Christian standpoint, it's a stretch to call him Jewish and it's a stretch to call him king. All right. It's not a stretch, however, to say that he was absolutely in charge of the people. And it's not a stretch to say, and this is important, he had a lot to lose. Okay. He had a lot to lose. And so Matthew writes, Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Isn't that surprising? What's that about? I looked into that. All of Jerusalem, why are they disturbed at the news of the birth of a new king? They should be, you'd think they'd be celebrating. Um, I went to ancient Christian writers. There's a guy named John Chrysostom. He says, because of the same idolatrous affections that had previously caused the people of God to turn from God precisely when God was providing his greatest benefits. John Chrysostom's like, this is nothing new. They're missing it. In other words, they were comfortable. They liked it the way it was. They should have been appalled at their king's moral, moral behavior or immoral behavior. Instead, they just turned the channel. Oh, whatever. It's Herod. He's doing his Herod thing again, right? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's alarming. So when the Magi from Persia or Syria or wherever, they show up looking for a newborn Jewish king, you'd think that all of Jerusalem would be like, oh, where? Tell us more. You got this from the sky? What's going on here? Instead, they're disturbed. They're bothered. Um, Chrysostom writes, most of Israel didn't even take notice. They were dull and careless. They should have realized that even the barbarians were moved by this baby, but they were more concerned with self-interest and comfort. God have mercy on us, right? God have mercy. Should have been appalled. Not even bothered. In fact, bothered that maybe something's here to change because we're kind of comfortable. 
So there's this news, and for some it's good news, and for some it's bad news, and it's the same news. All right, so back to the story, Matthew 2, verse 4. So Herod hears the news about this new Jewish king that's been born. He looks around his palace. There's no babies. He's an old man. So he calls in experts in the Bible, and he asks them, verse 4, calls all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asks them where the Messiah was to be born. That's interesting. Not where's a new king going to be born, because see, he can dispose of kings pretty easily. He's got that rival thing down. Where's the Messiah going to be born? Do you feel his insecurity like coming out? Do you feel his like, um, I'm going to get some counsel on this one. See, he's been king for almost 40 years, but he knows deep down inside, I am not the legitimate king. He knows that. And it comes out. He wants advice on, he's not a good Jew, He's not maybe even a real Jew or a full Jew, but he knows enough Jewish scripture to be concerned about this thing called Messiah, the anointed one, the true king of Israel. And where's this guy supposed to be born, right? Because he's not, he's not concerned about just another political rival. So Herod calls together the chief priests, the experts in the law. That's the early Old Testament, right? And he asks them, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they reply. And at this point, I think Herod just probably runs to the bathroom because he's got to be so sick to his stomach at this point because he knows the significance of this town. Who else was born in Bethlehem? King David, like the archetype, like the best king they've ever had. He was born in Bethlehem. He was crowned in Bethlehem. This is not just some random town. This is the house of bread. This is the real deal, okay? And he's the counterfeit. And so he's hearing this news, and it's swirling in his head, and he's getting all twisted up by it. In Bethlehem, they replied, this is what the prophet said, and he quotes, they quote Micah, for you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, Herod called the Magi, these are the dudes from the east, the astronomers, called them secretly, and found out from them the exact time that star showed up. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, that's the news he got from his people, and said, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Why is it a secret meeting? (laughs) Right? Does he really want to worship this kid? Is he really interested in the new king? Not if he's the Messiah. He's disturbed by this. Next, we see two totally different responses to the same news, okay? Well, we're starting to see it. Here, it becomes really clear. Here's what the Magi do. After they'd heard from the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down. They worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures And they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So uh, it helps me to to reduce and, and summarize things. So how do the Magi respond to this? Let's highlight the contrast. How do they feel? 
They, they feel overjoyed, right? There's this whole thing is just like a party. It's like so excited about this. They're full of joy. This is a good thing in their view. What happens inside them? What's going on with the dynamic inside them? What is the sign of the condition of their heart, in other words? Well, it's pretty graphic. They bow down foreheads to the ground before, uh, before the Christ child. They submit to the news that there is a new king. They submit to that news. And finally, they present valuable gifts to Christ and his family. They give. So I would summarize it by saying this, overjoyed, that's how I feel when I hear this, I gladly submit to the news that there's a king and, and I will give. In response to this news, I will give. Contrast that to Herod's response. I'm going to skip a few verses about what happens in the story. I'll come back to that next week. It's good. I'm excited about that. Let's go down to 16. Here's Herod's response. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders. This is horrible. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under. It's covering his bases. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, and then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And here's a quote from the Old Testament. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So Herod hears the news. If we go back to that little grid, Herod hears the news. How does he feel? Oh, man, he's like threatened. He's on high alert, right? He feels furious. That's the word that Matthew writes. What is his posture? I think you could say it's pride, right? He's just got like this, oh, heck no. I'm going to fight this, right? I'm going to pull from all. I'm going to strategize. And it's, you just feel the pride. Just, you just feel his neck tighten up. You know, you feel his teeth sort of grit. And what does he do? He orders the murder of innocents. That's what he does. He just goes, he just goes totally irrational, right? He just goes, he, he takes. To be real simple, he takes. He destroys so it's the same news. For some, it's good news. They're overjoyed. They bow down. They give. For some, it's bad news. They're furious. They're prideful. They take. Same news. Two totally different responses. It's good news and it's bad news. It's the same news. What's the difference? Something about the response. Something about how you receive that news. That's the difference. Um, do you remember last week, some of you are here, and we talked about uh, Jesus' 40th day, and his parents bring him to the temple, and they're going to dedicate him to the Lord there, and there's this guy, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he shows up, and he speaks to the, he blesses the baby, and he blesses Mary, the mother, and he says this, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. That's what he says. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. He will be a sign that will be spoken against. I got an opinion about that. Well, I got an opinion about that. He'll be a sign that will be spoken against, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He's going to cut to the chase. He's going to reveal the truth. That's what this kid's going to do. He's going to, he's going to grow up, and he's going to reveal what's really going on. All right? Okay, so this just introduces all kinds of ideas uh, I think all kinds of ways we can take a message like this. That's the message. It's pretty simple. There's good news and there's bad news. And it's the same news. 
Um, so here, let me share just a few thoughts about the news to kind of wrap it up. I'll start big and I'll get more and more personal. Okay. So kind of from a societal standpoint, I think about news and I think we're divided by the news. That's what we're divided by. People leave communities because of, it's not actually the news, it's we're divided by different opinions about the news. That's what we're divided by, right? And, and, and it's such a divisive thing that we will split. It breaks up families, it breaks up churches. One of the comments I hear a lot from people who think one way about the news is, I just can't understand how some people can think that way about this. I just can't understand it. And I've become so grieved um, over the last several cycles of presidential elections, when I've been serving as a pastor, and I've seen what this does to a place, I've become so grieved by it that I've begun to ask this question. Do you think you could? Do you, you think you could try to understand? I can't understand. Do you think you could try to understand how they could think that way? Maybe put some effort into it? What have you listened to the same news from another perspective, from the perspective that you don't agree with. I think we should admit it, that we, we, we like position our news sources as trustworthy, but really they're just the news sources we agree with. They're the news sources we like. I listen to this because I like it. And the other perspective makes me want to shout at my radio, and I look like a crazy guy driving down the street. It literally drives me nuts, Right? Here's the problem with getting the news just from the source that you like. You don't hear the other side's best argument. You don't hear their best argument. You hear all the flimsy straw men arguments, and they sound ridiculous. Those people are ridiculous. It's designed to make them look ridiculous, right? We don't hear the best side, the best part of the other. It was designed that way, and I think that if we honestly dealt with the best argument whether the TV shows or whatever present that is debatable. But if we honestly dealt with the best argument on the other side, I think it would be helpful to us. I think we would see things a little bit differently. And I think there actually might be some truth there. There might be some truth there. So I challenge you to change channels this week. And it's going to make you want to shout. But I bet you'll hear something that you haven't heard and that might be helpful. Uh, last year, sat down for lunch with a friend of mine, really respect this guy, really trust this guy, and this issue came up. It was everywhere. So, of course, we talked about it, and I was, I was honestly surprised. He had a really different perspective on this issue than I did, really different. And I said, I, I don't even how do you how do you see it like that? I don't, I don't understand and he said, well, did you know this? No, I don't know about that. He said, why don't you read this? Why don't you listen to this? And why don't you look at this? And just if you want. And I did. I did want to because I trusted him, which is the benefit that we rarely have with people who disagree with. I actually like this guy. I actually trust this guy. So I read some things I don't normally read. I heard some perspectives I don't normally hear. And you know what? I, um, I can see where he's coming from. I can see it. I can see where you're coming from. I'm not coming from there. I, I can't say I get it. Oh, I know what that feels like. I don't. I'm not coming from there. But I can see where he's coming from, right? I can see it. I might not even agree with it. I don't like the style, the mode, the method of transportation, of uh, communication, but I can see a bit of the perspective, and that's, that's helpful for me, right? That's helpful when my bigger goal is to be in unity with the church and to love Christ, 
I want to be able to see. I can see. I don't necessarily think the same as you, but I can see where you're coming from and how from your perspective, this news looks a little bit different than the way I'm seeing it. All right, so that's just a thought about the big societal thing. Let's talk about a little, let's squeeze the circle a little tighter, talk about relation, relationships with people um, in terms of news. Here I'm thinking about who gets it and who doesn't get it. And what I don't want, I don't want us to miss the scandal of Matthew chapter 2, which is totally scandalous, but we read right through it because it's about the wise men or the magi showing up at Jesus's, right after Jesus' birth within the next year or whatever. We miss this because we set up these little dudes in our house every Christmas like it's normal. Like we set up these little wise men in the crash sets and the nativity scenes in our house like it's normal. It's not normal. And Matthew's writing this, and he's, he's expecting his readers to go, excuse me, who shows up? People from the east, these, these astronomers show up and, and hear this news. This is, this is definitely not normal, but he wants us to be shocked by this. We know that he's writing for a Jewish audience. He's using Jewish phrases like kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of God. He's backing up his arguments by quoting Hebrew prophets all of the time. Um, he's, he starts his gospel with his long, boring ge genealogy, except it's not boring if you're Jewish. He's writing for Jews, but in the page two, he has these people show up, and what's important, they are the ones who get it, and they're not Jewish, right? Conversely, the Jewish king and all of Jerusalem in Matthew's story are the ones that don't get it. They don't get it. That's the scandal. That's the scandal. That should surprise us. Um, so, and this is a theme that continues all through the Gospels, frankly. We continue to see this work itself out in who gets or who receives the kingdom of God and who doesn't. Like, for instance, who's a, who would you think would be for Jesus? Like his family, his hometown, the leaders of his synagogue. They're not. Those are the ones that have the biggest issues with Jesus. His brothers think he's gone crazy, right? Till the very, very, very end. Uh, who do you think would be against Jesus? Well, maybe like the people who are totally abusing his people, like the tax collectors, maybe the prostitutes who are just like the easy target. Um, well, actually, those are some of the people who get it, right? The poor, they get it. The sick, there are some that get it. So the ones that are typically we see as outside, they shouldn't get it. This theme of being outside but being positioned to receive the truth of the gospel, this continues. Meanwhile, the theme of being inside, having all the credentials and the experiences and missing it, this continues all throughout the gospel as well. Who's in and who's out. So this, this I think, this should cause us to be humble. That's what it should do. I don't know what to do with this other than to go, okay, so slow down and be, be humble. Be, uh, you know, and this is a challenge for me, um, probably for all of us, it's, it's a challenge for me. It's be really humble. Be humble. Don't be so sure that you're right so that you miss the scandal of God's love for those who are outside. Uh, I, I'm on this team, I'm on this board um, in our church network uh, of pastors and lay people who advise the leader of our network, we call him a district superintendent, um, on issues of um, the, 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 the big di difficult decisions that he is challenged to make, often relating to ethical or personal problems with pastors. And personal problems with pastors are never personal because they're pastors, right? So, 
Uh, these are the kinds of issues that come to this board, and these are the kinds of things that we have to figure out what we're going to do about. And so on Thursday, uh, we have this long five-and-a-half-hour meeting, and at the end of the meeting, um, Steve, who is the district superintendent, he looks to the oldest member of the board, and he says, would you please pray for uh, this time, to close this time out? And I was so moved by the prayer, he, he basically prayed. He said something like this. He's like, God, if we have said anything or if we have done anything that has not honored you, if we have um, judged in a way that is uh, harsh or not reflective of the mercy and the grace of Christ, if, if we who have been making decisions about who's right and who's wrong, if we've been wrong, be, please have mercy on us. Please forgive us. I was struck by his humility is what happened in that meeting. I was moved by his prayer of humility. There was a lot in that meeting of who is right and who is wrong and judgment, and that's the, those are the situations that we're being asked to decide on. And this guy was praying and saying, well, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong. Wow. <laughs> like, make sure that factor gets equated in. And if we are, we're sorry. And keep us from missing the truth in our pride. Um, like Herod. Help us to be more like Magi, right? Who see it somehow and get it. All right. And then finally, finally, and, and this is the most important. It's the personal. This is the most important. It's the season of epiphany. And we, we often want one. We want to see God. We want the truth to be revealed. We want God to guide us, right? We want God's direction on the decisions that we have to make for our business or for our family. These are the things I'm most often asked to pray with people about. Clarity about God's will. God wants to do something. I don't know what it is. Please pray that I will see, that I will get the news from God. What are we assuming we're assuming that God's going to give us the news, and it's going to feel like good news for us. That's what we're assuming, that God will speak clearly, he will reveal the truth to us, and that that truth will feel like good news. And it might, it might, if you are willing to bow down and submit to Christ as king. If you are, it's going to be good news. This might be clarity from God. It might be good news if you are willing to submit to God and not your own control for your life. It'll sound like good news. This clarity from God, specifically the idea that Christ is king, that is good news if we're prepared to give away valuable possessions as a result of that reality. It will be good news. But that same news, friends, will not be like good. It will not feel like good news if we're trying to hold on to our comforts, hold on to our status, hold on to our control. If we hear Christ is in charge and we're like, mm, we're trying to keep things the way it is and make sure that we stay, we stiffen our necks, we grit our teeth. If we hear stuff like the you know what? Following Jesus is actually going to cost you something. It's actually going to cost you some sort of comfort, control, some sort of uh, certain kinds of advancement are going to be off the table for you if you're actually going to follow Jesus. That's not going to sound like good news if we're unwilling to submit to Christ as king, to somebody else's king. You follow me? Jesus is coming will sound very threatening uh, if we're trying to be king, if we're trying to stay in power. Jesus is the king will not be, will not be good news. So I think it comes down to this. 
as it often does when we read 2,000-year-old stories on the other side of the planet that we can hardly understand. I think it comes down to this. Uh, who are you in the story? Where is you in this story? You Herod? You all of Jerusalem? You one of these strange people from the outside who somehow get it? Are you a king or a wise man? I think for us, for all of us, we're both. We're both. I think all of us have this amazing capacity for furious selfishness. Capacity for furious selfishness. Destructive selfishness. And we have the capacity for humble generosity. World-changing generosity. We have both. And so all throughout the day, probably many times throughout the day, you have a chance to respond to the news. It's the same news. Christ is king. There's only one king, and it's Christ. And you have a chance all through the day to respond to, the, to decide how are you going to respond to that news. Is it actually for you good news, or is it actually not good news? In this moment of this day, in this situation at work, at school, with my family, I have a chance to respond all day long to the news. And that my response will actually show whether I believe it is good news or bad news, because it's the same news. So may this truly great news that Christ is king, may we embrace it, okay? May God give us the courage and the mercy to embrace it as as good news. It's good news. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, I come asking for mercy, so thankful for some of the things that you've given to me and to us, ways that we are advantaged, safe, educated, well-fed. I'm so thankful for those things, and I pray, I pray that those things would not become a stumbling block, that we wouldn't be so comfortable that we would not be able to hear your word. We wouldn't be apathetic about suffering, the things that you came to address and restore. I pray for grace for each of us as we go through the day and the week to be aware of this dynamic of the throne and to to be courageous enough to ask who's, who's in charge now, who's sitting on that throne. Who's the boss? And then courage to respond accordingly. I thank you for this church and pray for grace for us to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.